Good morning, Canyon Hills. It's great to be back here with you all again this morning as we're kicking off a brand new two-part series called Unshakable. Turn into Daniel chapter one. It's where we're going to be focusing uh, the bulk of this series in just a couple minutes. Now, as I was preparing for my message this week, I've been watching the news at night and I watched the debate on Monday and I can't help but be saddened by what I see. And it's painful for me because I'm watching as my generation And I'm watching as this culture is being ripped apart from the inside out. And it's painful for me because what we're seeing is the very core values that have made us such a great society to begin with are being turned inside out and upside down. And as I see these things unfolding, the injustice, the idolatry, the immorality that I see every time I turn the news on, I can't help but think of the prophet Isaiah. Because, you know, Isaiah, he warned the nation of Israel. He said, look, a nation is headed for collapse any time it reverses the values that made it a healthy nation and culture to begin with. And it frightens me because I think that's the spot that we are at as a society. That's the spot where we find ourselves in the middle of this world, where we're reversing our values, that we're completely turning things inside out. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He says, woe. He's saying, watch out because you're a nation that's headed for collapse. And I think this is something that we need to take seriously because if we learn anything from history, it happened to the nation of Israel shortly after this. See, God saw their immorality. He saw their idolatry. He saw all the injustice throughout the entire land. He says, you know what? It's time for me to shake things up. So in 600 BC, he sent a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar from the empire of Babylon, which was one of the greatest empires of the world at that time. And he sent Nebuchadnezzar into the nation of Israel to to conquer it. And not only did Nebuchadnezzar come in and conquer Israel, he also completely destroyed the holy capital city of Jerusalem. And on top of that, he took 25% of its population as political prisoners of war to serve as slaves in captivity in Babylon for the next 70 years of their life. It was a disaster. It was a terrible time. These people, the Israelites, they lost their families. They lost their homes. They lost their land. They lost their heritage all because they didn't pay attention to what God was trying to tell them to what God was trying to unveil before their eyes. You know, Isaiah isn't the only one that talks about this in Scripture either. We see it in several places in the Old Testament. Another one comes from the book of Psalms, from a a psalm writer by the name of Asaph. And Asaph, he writes on behalf of God, and he asks this question. He says, how long are you going to let your judges? How long are you going to let your rulers? How long are you going to let your kings rule in such a corrupt and detestable manner? In fact, look what he has to say here. He says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness and all the foundations of the earth are shaken. Does that sound familiar at all? All the foundations of the earth are shaken. See, every time I turn on the news, that's what I see. See, the way that we've been doing government in America for so many years is being shaken. 
our very freedom of speech and our freedom of religion is being shaken. Our ideas of marriage, our values of what a family should look like are being shaken. Our educational system, our very core moral values and our moral beliefs and ethics are being shaken to their core. You see, we're living in a very turbulent time in our life and there's this shakiness going on all around us that we can't escape. And God wants us to be aware of this, and he wants us to recognize that this is happening. And so when we look at this this two-part series, we need to realize that no matter what it is that we're going through, God is saying, look, I don't want you just to survive during this time. I want you to thrive, and I want you to succeed. No matter how bad the world gets, no matter how corruptible things may become for you, I have something better planned for you. So don't give up hope. And we're going to look at that through this two-part series called Unshakable. And we're going to be looking at the story of Daniel. Because Daniel really sets the stage of what do you do when your life is shaken? How do you respond to certain things? And it starts with this 15-year-old boy named Daniel. You see, Daniel is living in Israel during this time. And he's literally watching as Nebuchadnezzar is coming in and destroying every single thing that he knows to be true. He's watching his land be destroyed, his home being burnt down, his family being torn apart. And on top of that, he's grabbed and he's whisked away to serve as a captive, to serve as a slave, as a prisoner of war for the next 70 years of his life. But yet, despite all of this, Daniel still remains a man of God. No matter how difficult his world had become, no matter how much shakiness God had placed in front of him, Daniel still succeeds because he becomes the second in command in the entire Babylonian empire. And it's this great story of how things turn around that's very applicable for us to learn and us to take notes of. So before we really get to the the main part of this message this morning, I want us to read this brief story from Daniel as we kind of set the stage. So we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 1 starting with verse 1 this morning. It says this, In the third year of Judah's king Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged Jerusalem with his armies, and God gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory. Have you ever been besieged by your problems in life? Where you feel like the problems are just so overwhelming that you feel tossed around? You don't know which way's up. You don't know which way's down. Maybe you don't have enough time or, or money or resources, or maybe you just don't have it in you to survive the problems that the world is throwing at you. You're being besieged. You're being conquered by the problems that exist around you. See, this is exactly how Daniel and the people of Israel felt. Everything was changing drastically and automatically in their life in the split second. But yet, despite all of it, they still managed to remain strong. But when we look at this, it it brings a frustrating part to our minds because it says that God gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a Jewish person. He wasn't a Christian. He's a Babylonian. He's considered a pagan, and yet God still gave him the victory. That may seem off-putting to us, but I think that we can relate to it in our culture today because we need to recognize sometimes God uses ungodly leaders to fulfill his will. You see, God needed to discipline, God needed to correct his people, the children of Israel, and he knew the only way that he could do that would be through Nebuchadnezzar, regardless of who he was. But that's not the end of the story. You see, after the war was over, after the land had been burnt down and they were taken into captivity, the story continues and it says this, when Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, 
he took with him the best sacred objects from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he put them on display in his pagan temple of Babylon. He also ordered that the best young men of Judah be taken as captives to be brought to his palace. He says, select only the best looking, strongest, and smartest young men and bring them to my palace. Now, what's he doing here? He's really saying, look, my God is better than your God. My ways are better than your ways. We're going to take your holy, your sacred objects, everything that you value in life, and we're going to make them nothing by putting them on display in our temples. That your greatest of great objects now become artifacts that just sit on a shelf to collect dust. Because that's how your world is changing. And not only that, he says, I'm also not just going to take everything that you hold to be dear in your life and remove it from you, but I'm also going to take the best of the best of your people. He says, I'm going to take the, the greatest amongst your nation. And if you notice, these are the same three values that we value as a society today. Beauty, brains, and bronze. Right? When we look at it, we live in a society that says if you're not academically proficient, if you're not athletically able, and if you're not generally appealing or attractive to the masses, you have nothing to offer this society. That's what our world has taught us. Nebuchadnezzar knew that it was the same back then as it is today. So he says, I'm going to take the best of your people, the best looking, the strongest, the smartest, the most able people, and I'm going to indoctrinate them over a three-year process. I'm going to change them and their whole world. Look what scripture has to say here. It says, make sure that they're well-versed in every branch of learning, that they're gifted with knowledge and good sense and have the poise needed to serve in my royal palace. Teach these young men the language and the literature of the Babylonian culture. You see, they're being indoctrinated. They're going to be eating Babylonian food. They're going to be reading the Babylonian literature. They're going to be studying the Babylonian heritage. They're going to be participating in their rituals, in their traditions, in their customs, in their culture. They're even going to go so far as to get brand new Babylonian names. See what's happening here? He is systematically reprogramming these Jewish teenager boys, saying, look, your ethical background, it's gone. Your heritage, it's gone. Everything that you know to be true, everything that you hold dear to your heart, it's gone. It's no more. We're going to replace the godly things in your life with our pagan rituals because our way is now the only way that you will live your life for the next 70 years. It's a crazy story when you look at it. It says you are no longer Jews. You are now Babylonians. Keep in mind, Daniel's only 15 years old during the story. If you were a 15-year-old and you found yourself in this spot, would you say that your world has been shaken? Yeah, I think all of us would say that our entire world has been turned upside down. But like we said earlier, Daniel, despite all of this turmoil, all of the shakiness that exists in his life, we know that he keeps his integrity. We know that he keeps his faith in God to the point where he gets promoted five different times within the Babylonian Empire where he becomes second in command in the entire region of Babylon, only under the Babylonian emperor himself. Not only that, we see that he actually serves through three different empires and two different cultures. And during that time, he even brings two of the emperors to faith in God himself, Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus the Great. You see, Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel knew 
that even though he found himself in this rocky state of life, when he didn't know which way was up, that which way was down, that if he put his trust and his faith and his hope in God, that God would get him through. And God did just that. So the question is, what can we take from this story? Looking at Daniel's life, what do we do when we find that our world has been shaken? And maybe for some of you, it's not the story of you being thrown into captivity. I hope it's not that. But maybe it's by your finances. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's with a job. Maybe it's with health. Or maybe it's with a death in the family. What do you do when your world is shaken? How do you respond? And so this morning, I want to give you just a couple of suggestions on how we approach this from the biblical manner, looking at Daniel's life and looking at what we see in Scripture of what God wants us to do when we find ourselves on shaky ground, because the reality is it's exactly where we are today. So if you look at your notes outline, the first suggestion I have for you is this. When your life is thrown into chaos and when your world is shaken up, don't be surprised by adversity. Don't be surprised by adversity. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 4.12, says, Dear friends, don't be shocked or surprised when you suffer through painful tests and trials, as if something strange is happening to you. He's saying, look, shakeups, they're a normal part of life. You don't live in heaven. You live in a broken world. You see, heaven's a place where there is no pain There is no suffering. There are no problems. There's no persecution. There's no struggles. There's no trials or tribulation. You don't live on heaven. You live in a broken and a fallen world, and it's unrealistic for us to expect that we would never have problems, that we would never have issues because it's a part of life. So don't be surprised by it. Even Jesus himself says in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will experience difficulties, but take heart. I have conquered the world. I've told you this so that in trusting me, you will be unshakable and deeply at peace. Notice he doesn't say you may have difficulties. You might encounter some problems down the way. No, he says, look, it's a fact. You will have moments in your life when everything is turned upside down. When your world is so shaken, you can barely stand because you don't know where to go or what to do. It's a part of life. And I want you to be prepared for it. But you know, the sad reality is, is do you know what our natural human response is when we find that our life has been turned into a a moment of chaos? Our human response is to try to fix the blame on someone or something. But as long as we're fixing the blame, we're not fixing the problem. We're not fixing the solution. And just so you know, looking through scripture, I, I believe that there are four different sources for most of the pains and the problems that come in your life. And I think it's important for us to know. And so I created a couple of little blanks on your outlines for you to write these down, just to think about these as the sources of your problems. The first one is this, it's you. You are my biggest problem. I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that can come across really wrong, right? No, it's you. You are the biggest obstacle to yourself. If you got to think about that, you are so self-critical. You make mistakes, and when you make mistakes, you doubt yourself. You start to get discouraged. You beat yourself up. You discredit yourself. You are your biggest critic in your own life, and you create more heartache, more headache, and more hurt than anybody else does in your life because it's how you value yourself and how you see yourself in this world, which leads me to our second source of the problem. It's the world, and the way that the world's a problem to you is because it holds affirmation back. 
You see, we as a culture and a society, we've gotten this idea that we're only worth something if society approves of us. That if I fit in, that if I belong, that if I'm accepted, I have a place in this world. And if I don't, if I'm not accepted, then what's the point of me even being here? What's the point of me even trying? And it creates problems. Why am I in this job? Why am I in this group? Why am I doing the things that I do? And this world likes to downcast that idea upon you and make you doubt your own life. Third one is Satan. Satan is another big factor of the source of problems in your life because you see every morning when you wake up, he's trying to defeat you. He wants to discredit you. He wants to fill you with doubts and with this depression and discouragement. And he wants to just defile your life every chance that he can get. And the fourth and final one may be surprising to most of you, but I believe it's God. It's like, ah, oh, heresy, bless me, right? But no, it's, I believe it's God. I think that sometimes God does put pains and problems and struggles, and he shakes things up in your life for a very specific set of reasons. And we're going to cover those in just a moment because I think they're, in, they're really key for us to understand. But regardless of what the problem is or what the source of the problem may be in your life, the thing that we need to know is God says, look, I know you're living in a hostile culture. I know that you're living in a shaky time of your world, but I want you to survive. And I don't just want you to survive. I want you to thrive and I want to see you succeed. And the only way that you can do that is if you recognize that you will experience adversity in this life. It's a part of our human nature, and it's a part of living in this world, unfortunately. Which this naturally brings me to our second suggestion. When your life's thrown into chaos, when your world is shaken up, look for ways in which God can use it for good. Look for ways in which God can use it for good. I think this one is, is so important for us to understand. Because you see, no matter what that situation is in your life, no matter how bad it may be, no matter how far you think that it's taken you away from God, God says, I want to use that. I want to make something good come out of that bad situation. And God does that all the time. He says, there's no bad situation in your life that I can't find a way to bring good out of it, to bless you, to encourage you, to give you a hope, to allow you to push on and succeed in this life because I can bring good out of bad. That's what he tries to convey to all of us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, the plans I have for you are plans for good and not to harm you. They're plans to give you hope and a future. You see, Satan, he's got his own plans for you. Plans are evil. Plans are bad to destroy you, to make you doubt yourself. But God, he's also got plans. He's got plans that are good, plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future to say there is more than just the problem you're experiencing right here right now, because I have a plan for it, and you need to hope, and you need to trust me that it's going to come true, that I will be there every step of the way. Now, going back to the story of Daniel, we see in Daniel's life, he had struggle after struggle after struggle. He found himself in a constant state for 70 years where his life was on shaky ground. But as we look through that story all the way through Daniel chapter 1 through Daniel chapter 7, we see that there are specific reasons in which God is putting these struggles into Daniel's life. And there are five specific ones I was able to pull out, and I think they're important for us to recognize because they're the same reasons that sometimes God gives us shaky ground. And so we have some spots in our outlines for us to write these down because they're things that we should take note of as well. So here's the first one. When we, uh, when we look at this, sometimes God shakes things up to inspect me. 
Sometimes God shakes things up to inspect me. You know, somebody once said that people are like tea bags. You don't really know what they're made of until you put them in hot water. And I like that because that's the truth, is that you don't really know what someone's made of until they're in a situation that makes them uncomfortable, until they're forced to do something or they find themselves in an overwhelming situation. You see, it's what's inside of them. And God, when he looks, he says, look, I'm going to inspect you to show you what is out of line, what it is that's out of whack in your life, because I want you to see the things that I want you to work on in your life. And I can only do that by throwing this struggle, by shaking things up here and there to get you to wake up to see the reality of where you're at. We're going to inspect you. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 says, the Lord searches our hearts and examines our deepest motives so he can give to each person his right reward according to how he has lived. You see, what you do here on earth isn't nearly as important to God as why you do it. It's not about what you do. It's about why you do it. See, God looks at the heart. He's looking at your integrity. He's looking at your motives. And he says, look, I'm going to inspect you because if you're doing something for the wrong reasons, if you're doing something that's going to take you down the wrong path because your heart's in the wrong place, I'm going to shake things up so you can see it. I'm going to bring that reality to your lives. You see, God, he shakes things up because he's more interested in our integrity than he is about our image in life. And he wants us to understand that it's about the heart. And so he's going to hold us accountable when he inspects us. And so there's a question that we need to ask. And there's going to be a question attached to each one of these. And it's not going to be up on the screen. You don't have a spot to write it down. But if you want to write it down, I would encourage you to. But when you find that your, your world is shaken up and that God's using problems to inspect you, the question you need to ask yourself is, what does this problem reveal about me? When you find that God is inspecting you, what does that problem reveal about you? Because sometimes that's the only way that you will see the truth of what's inside. When God gives you a struggle, when he shakes things up to inspect you, he says, look, I'm revealing maybe a character flaw, maybe something that isn't right that I want to work on before we go any further. Which brings us to the second one. The second way that God shakes things up is to correct me. God shakes things up sometimes to correct me. And look, this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. Over 2,500 years ago, they were sent into captivity because of their idolatry and their immorality and their injustice. But you know what happened when that 70 years passed and they came back home? They didn't revert back to their old ways. They were a changed people because God had used that time to correct their lives. And that's the same thing. God says, you know what? Sometimes you're going to experience pain. Sometimes you're going to struggle in life, but it's not to hurt you. It's to correct you. It's to help you in these aspects of your life. Hebrews 12, 8 through 11, it says this, God corrects all of his children. And if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is. It's never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it's always painful but if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. Let me ask this question. How many of you ever benefited growing up by being corrected? I know that I did. That's how I learned to walk. That's how I learned to talk, how I learned to eat, how I learned to read, how I learned to speak and do all these things. See, it's because somebody loved me and cared for me enough to correct me, to show me what was right and what was wrong. 
And that's the same thing that God does for us. He says, look, I'm going to send a shaky moment in your life to correct an issue before it gets any worse. Because I love you and I care for you and I want to see you succeed in life. That's ultimately what it comes down to. And sometimes God uses pains and problems to shake you up and correct you just like he did with the nation of Israel. Which just brings me to the next question that we need to ask. When God uses problems to correct me, the question is, what is this problem teaching me? When I feel like God is shaking things up to correct me, what is it that he's trying to teach me through this experience? Now that I know what's being revealed about me, what is he trying to teach me? What is he trying to show me that I need to correct in my life, that I need to move forward about and from? Third, God shakes things up sometimes to direct me. God shakes things up to direct me. See, he wants to point you in a new direction. He wants to send you down a different path in life. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, a person may plan his own journey, but the Lord directs his steps. How does the Lord direct his steps? By problems. You see, because problems, sometimes when we look at them in our life, they change our plans. We have a certain plan. We know everything's going to go a certain way and we're excited. We get on that road and all of a sudden a problem comes up that forces us to change what we had planned in the very beginning. That's God saying, look, I'm shaking things up to direct you down a different point of your life. You know, we don't change when we see the light. We only change when we feel the heat. In Proverbs 20, 30, it says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. See, what is that problem in your life that you've been pushing off saying it's not really a problem? What is that big elephant in your relationship or in your job or in your, your, your marriage or in your family that you're saying it's not that big of an issue, but maybe you need to recognize it's God saying, look, I'm shaking things up because if you keep going down this path, doom awaits you. Death awaits you. I'm going to shake things up, not just to inspect you, not just to correct you, because I am directing you away from danger. But we don't realize that. We don't see that because we're angry in that moment, trying to find someone to blame. So the question that we have to ask ourselves here is when God uses problems to direct me, where is this problem leading me? Where is this problem leading me? Is it leading me away from danger? Is it leading me maybe to an uncomfortable decision that I have to make? Where is it leading me? Fourth, God shakes things up to protect me. God shakes things up to protect me. You know, sometimes pain is actually put in our life to protect us from something being worse. Sometimes God says, you know what? You're going to go through a problem. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience trouble but it's to prevent something worse from happening in your life. That pain is actually a blessing in disguise for you. In Joel, or Job 36, 16, it says, God has led you away from danger, giving you freedom. You see, God, sometimes he protects us by shaking things up, forcing us to go a different direction. You know, we just look at the story of Joseph in the uh, book of Genesis. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, Odds are terrible things happened to him during his time in slavery. This could have been a very negative, painful experience for him, but look how he responded in Genesis 50, 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You see, you will have people in this life. You will encounter people in this world who intend to harm you because you're a Christian, because of what you believe in, because of your stance on things or who you vote for, the things that you say or the crowds that you do or the crowds that you don't hang out with. 
You will experience problems in your life. But God says, I'm going to take every one of those negative experiences and turn them into good because I am bigger than your enemies. I am bigger than your critics. I am bigger than the world itself. And I am protecting you from doing something that you're going to regret down the line. And you may not see it now, but that's the heart of what it's about. Which brings me to the question, says this, when God uses problems to protect me, how does this problem protect me? How does this problem protect me? What is it shielding me from? And the fifth and final way that we see from the book of Daniel is this. God shakes things up to perfect me. God shakes things up sometimes to perfect me. He wants to make you more like Jesus Christ. He wants to grow your character. He wants to mature you. He wants to see you get strengthened and succeed in life. But we know that the cost of growing is pain. They have this old saying, right? It's there's no gain without pain. It's the truth. We all know it, that in order for you to grow, in order for you to mature in life, sometimes, more often than not, it's a painful experience. But there's always something great that comes at the end of it. There's a reward that comes. And we know this from 1 Peter 5, chapter 10. The Bible says this, after you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory, he gives you firmness and strength and a sure foundation. See, God's not interested in making your life easy here upon this earth. He's interested in about growing your character, about maturing you, about making you more like his son, Jesus Christ, because that is his end goal. And so knowing that God uses these bad things and he can turn them into good because he's trying to protect us and perfect us, what should our response be? Well, I think we get it from the book of Hebrew or Romans chapter five. It says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn and be patient. So here's the final question that we need to ask when God uses problems to perfect me. How can I grow from this problem? Despite how bad it may be, how shaky I may be right now, how can I grow through this experience and this pain that I am suffering right now in my life? So when we look at it, God says, don't be surprised in this world when you have troubles because you will face adversity. You will face people who are out to get you, but don't worry because I can use even the darkest moments of your life to inspect you, to direct you, to correct you, to protect you, and to perfect you. Which leads me to my third and final suggestion this morning. It says, when God shakes things up and when you find that your world's in chaos, trust in God for what you don't understand. Trust in God for what we don't understand. You know, there are times when you wake up in the morning and you say, how did I get here? Why is my life in so much chaos, in so much pain, in so much tribulation? What is going on? That's the point when you say, God, I trust that you have my best interest at heart. God, I trust that no matter what I'm going through, that you have a specific reason for why I'm dealing with this. In Proverbs 20, 24, it says, Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? You see, it's foolish. Trying to understand God's will is like an ant trying to understand the internet. It just, it can't happen. And that's how we find ourselves. We become so overwhelmed trying to think, well, I know what God's doing when he says, you don't have a clue. Trust that I have your life in my hands. Trust that I have your best interest at my heart. Yeah, you're going to experience problems. Yeah, you're going to be in pain. Yeah, you're going to suffer in this world. But look at Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart. 
Don't depend on your own understanding. Honor the Lord in everything you do, and he will give you success. See, God just doesn't want you to survive. He doesn't just want you to thrive. He wants you to succeed in a world that is hostile, in a world that is bitter, in a world that is being turned upside down in front of our very eyes. He says, I want you to live. I want you to survive. But don't be surprised when bad things come your way. Don't be surprised when I shake things up. Trust that I know what's going on and I have a plan for your life. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. When we find ourselves on, on the shaky ground, are we unshakable because we trust in the Lord? Are we unshakable because we know no matter what our darkest days may hold for us, that he is bigger and brighter than all of it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful once again that you just give us your word. God, that it's so applicable that we can just look at our current culture. We can look at the world that we live in, and no matter how dark and how depressing it may be, God, that we can see that you are using it for good. God, it's difficult for us in our own human nature, our own human weakness, to be able to separate ourselves from the pain that we feel. But God, I pray that you just challenge us that as we go through this week, this month, this year, God, that when these pains, that when these struggles when these tribulations, they come up in our lives, God, that we would be able to look at them and not be surprised by them. But God, that we could actually see the ways in which you are using them for good, how they're growing us, how they're maturing us, how they're correcting us and perfecting us to be more like you. Because God, that's our heart's desire. God, that we would truly be like you. And God, a lot of that comes from trusting in you when we don't understand what this world is doing. God, I pray that you just unveil that truth that love and just your grace and your mercy upon our lives. We love you. We just give you this in your holy name.